Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's so good to be back with you again. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings this past week. We ask that you grant us strength and energy uh, to get through the week ahead. And we thank you for this time that we have together now. We pray, Lord, that you'd keep us safely wrapped in your loving arms. Bless us with your peace that passes all understanding. And keep us covered with the blood of Christ. It's in his name we do pray now. Amen. This is Ascension Sunday, and I would like to just read the account of the Ascension as it's found in the book of Acts, the first chapter, the first through the eleventh verses. In the first account, I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs uh, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, Two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word at this time. You know, it amazes me how little attention is given to the ascension, since it's the confirmation and the consummation of all that happened on Good Friday and the resurrection as well. Let me give you some things to think about concerning the ascension. First of all, the ascension marks the completion of our Lord's earthly work. His earthly work was to come and provide a sacrifice for sin so that the people of God could be forgiven and gathered into heaven. In John, the fourth chapter, the 34th verse, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I've come to finish the work. When did he finish the work? John 19, 13 says, he said this on the cross. 
It is finished. The work of providing the acceptable sacrifice was finished there on the cross. In anticipation of having finished the work, you remember in John 17, verse 4, he prayed to the Father, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. He anticipates, you see, his accomplishment even before it happens. He came to do the work of the Father. Throughout his life, he said, I only do what you show me to do, that you tell me to do. I only follow the Father, his will only. Even in the garden, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. You see, the ascension says that the work is finished. On the cross, the work of substitutionary sacrifice was finished. But there, was a, but there was still a resurrection. Uh, there was still a 40 days of instruction, and there was still an ascension. The ascension marks the ultimate end of the work that he did here on earth. And now the Father can receive him back to glory. The fact that he goes into glory is the Father's statement validating his work. So, one of the things that uh, we see is important about the ascension is that it marks the completion of our Lord's earthly work. Uh, secondly, it signals the end of his limitation. No more does he set aside the prerogatives of using his power. No longer does he limit himself. He prayed in John 17, 5, Father, Give me back the glory I had with you before the world began. And that's exactly what he received when he went back. Give me back the full use of my power, full prerogatives for all my attributes. He had emptied himself and taken on the form of man in coming here. But now he returns to heaven. But note this, he goes back different than when he came. He goes back with the pre-incarnate glory for sure, but he also goes back with a post-incarnate glory that is even more. And here's what I mean. He came as pure deity. He came as spirit. He came placed into the womb of Mary, and God began to develop a body, and he took on full and pure humanity something he never possessed in all of eternity to that point. He became the perfect God-man. The Greek word is theanthropos, God-man. Now this is new. He is restored to his limitless power. He is restored to his limitless intimacy with God, but he is restored with scars and signs of suffering that remain on him forever. He is the wounded lamb of God. When he, John sees him in Revelation 5, he calls him the wounded lamb. It will always be that his wounds are visible and are tokens for the joy and the worship of all he redeemed by those wounds. Now there's a third thing that uh, is very important about the ascension. 
It establishes the universal and eternal worship of our Lord and puts him in supremacy. It makes him King of kings and Lord of lords. In Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says that he exalted him, bestowed on him the name above every name, and that's the name Lord. And at that time, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be universal worship of Christ forever. The Apostle Paul writes about this, and he says, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then this, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You see, through all ages, all persons, good, bad, indifferent, all human beings, all angels, holy angels, demons, and Satan, all who can be named because they are persons, come under the supreme and sovereign authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only all persons, it says in verse 22, he put all things in subjection under his feet, and the church as well as his body, over which he is the head. The ascension then essentially establishes permanently the universal and eternal worship of the Son of God, and that is exactly what goes on in heaven, even now as we're together right now. Now, when you think about the ascension of God being so satisfied so pleased that he lifts the son, puts him back on the throne. For us, that's all glorious. But for his enemies, that's all devastating judgment. For his enemies will become his footstool, which is to say they'll be crushed under his feet. Now, there's another reality that we understand in the ascension, and it's this. The ascension opened the door for our Lord to send the Holy Spirit. Now, this now turns from uh, what the ascension meant to him to what the ascension means to us. Back in the upper room, on that night before our Lord was crucified, he said in John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I, if I do not go away, the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I will send him to you. Later on in Luke, he said, don't go anywhere out of Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, he says, you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come on you and then you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest part of the world. I'm going back to heaven. This is good for you. This is to your advantage because I am going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the point he's making is 
this. He's saying, look, you've had me with you, but I am not everywhere in incarnate form. I can't be with you all the time. And now I'm leaving. But what is better for you than having me with you some of the time is having the Holy Spirit in you all the time because he is as I am. He is God and he will take up residence in you. The Holy Spirit will come to you. He will live in you. You will become his temple. He will empower you. He will enable you. He will comfort you. It's better that I go because when I go, the Father has validated my work and restored my glory. And then I will send the Holy Spirit. In the second chapter of Acts, we see the Lord keeping his promise. The Spirit came. There was an explosion of power. 3,000 people were converted. Then thousands more and thousands more. And here we are many centuries later, and the power of the Holy Spirit has circled the globe again and again and again and again, building his church. When you think of the ascension in terms of what does it mean to us, there's a second thing to consider. You see, it also marked the beginning of our Lord's preparation of our heavenly home. In the 14th chapter of John, the disciples were fretting over the idea that he was leaving. And he says in chapter 14, verse 1, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. That's not going to be an unoccupied place. I'm going to go. I'm going to prepare it for you. And then I'm going to come back and get you and take you there. So what is the Lord doing now? He hasn't gone into retirement. He's not just resting, sitting on his accomplishments. He's in heaven now preparing a home for you and for me. Look at the beautiful world and its pristine glory before the fall that he created in six days. A universe in six days, imagine that. What can he do with all this time in heaven? What glories do you think we'll see when we get there? If we read Revelation 21 and 22, you'll see a description of heaven, and it's breathtaking if you really envision what John is talking about there. Now, there's something else that's happened to us because of the ascension. It marked the passing of the gospel responsibility from the Lord to his followers. You see, Jesus didn't finish the work of the gospel ministry. He finished the work of redemption. He didn't finish the work of the gospel. He began it. And once he was taken up to heaven, it had to be passed on to somebody else. And so the Holy Spirit gave orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. The baton passes from the Lord 
to the apostles and the Holy Spirit brings the power and the calling to fruition in the case of the apostles. So what happens after the apostles? After the apostles came, the believers uh, in the church wound up having to take up the baton. Look at Ephesians 4, uh, again, talking about the ascension in verse 8. When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. You see, he took those with him that he had purchased at the cross in Calvary, and he gave gifts to men. And that's a portion of scripture straight from Psalm 68, but it's talking about the ascension. In verse 9 of Ephesians, it says, he ascended. And then in verse 10, it says, he descended so that he could ascend above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. You see, he goes back to the omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience of his eternal being, and he fills all things. And then it says, he gives. And what does he give? He gives apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. So see, you have a part in that. You are being equipped by the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers so that you can be about the work of the ministry. This is the work of the ministry of the gospel is not something just for preachers and teachers. You're being preached to and you're being taught so that you will be equipped so that you can minister. And there's never been a time when ministry was more needed by you than right, and more, I'm sorry, more needed by others than right now. And you are here now to be fulfilling that ministry. So what happens at the ascensions? The Lord passes on the baton to the apostles and the New Testament prophets. They pass the baton on to the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. And so it goes through history. And all of them are being equipped to help us in the ministry. And you can do it. You can do it because you have the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in every single believer. Now, there's another thing that he's given us that's also important that's tied to the ascension. And that is, he gave to the apostles and their associates another task. In John 15 and 16, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I've said and whatever I've done. And you see, that enabled them to write the scripture, the New Testament. So through the apostles and those who were with them, the Lord gave the New Testament to his people. So we have the internal power of the Holy Spirit, and we have the external revelation of the scripture written by the Holy Spirit. So we have the book that the Spirit authored, and we have the author living in us, and by the Word and the Spirit, we are empowered to finish the work that Jesus began. 
So the ascension marks the end of his work of doing and teaching and the beginning of our work of doing and teaching in the power of the Holy Spirit based upon the revelation of Scripture and the Holy Spirit to our hearts. Now here's another thing that we have because of the ascension uh, that I need to mention in closing. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 says this, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. There's the ascension again. The first heaven, the second heaven, into the third heaven. This great high priest is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And knowing that he is there and he has us in his heart, and nothing will ever separate us from his love, we never have to fear that we will be forsaken or that we will be lost. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So you say, well, wait a minute. He's our high priest. He goes into heaven for us. We can count on his faithfulness. But what about our sin? What about our weakness? No, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, which is to say he knows temptation to its max because he never gave in. He gets it. He understands our weakness. So rather than fear that he might forsake us, let us draw near to that faithful high priest, that sympathizing high priest with confidence to his throne of grace. We're going to always need grace. We will never be acceptable on our own. We go back again and again to the throne of grace. And what do we receive? We receive mercy and we receive grace to help in time of need. He is our merciful, faithful, sympathetic high priest who intercedes before God with his nail-scarred hands. And that's why chapter 7 of Hebrews verse 25 says, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. So how does he do that? He always lives and makes intercession for them. He brings us to glory by his constant intercession on our behalf. And though there may be those that accuse us, and though Satan might accuse us, no accusation will stand. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now then, there's one final reality when you think about the ascension, and that's exactly where we started in Acts chapter 1. The angel said, This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come again in the same way, just as you watched him go into heaven. How did he go? In the clouds. How will he come? In the clouds, the ascension guarantees the Lord's return. I'm going to repeat that. 
the ascension guarantees the Lord's return. Everything that he has said up to this point that he was going to do, he did. He said he was going to die and rise again in three days, and he did. He said he was going to ascend, and he did. He said he was going to send the Holy Spirit, and he did. And he said that he was going to return. And we know because of the ascension that he will return. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll be back to get you. Our, our Lord in the ascension is exalted. His humiliation is over. He's been given back the full glory that he had before he ever came into this world. He is there to receive universal and everlasting adoration. God has put him in the place for that. The Father has. And that's where it all begins with us, giving him the adoration and the love that he is due for the beauty and the glory and the majesty of just who he is. Remember what we talked about last week? He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll love you. My father will love you. And we, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, all three will come and abide in you. He's worthy of our adoration. That's what we talked about last week. And while we're here loving him and giving him first place in our hearts, as we should, he's there preparing our eternal home, something more to love him for, something more to just adore him for. He's there acting as the head over his body, the church, and he's here as well. He's passed his ministry on to us, but he has also given us the spirit to empower us and the scripture to direct us. He is for us, constantly, constantly interceding on our behalf so that grace is always flowing to us, which will bring us to eternal glory. And he stands ready in the Father's time to come back and to take us with him to heaven and then to establish his kingdom on earth and then the new heaven and the new earth where his uh, the kingdom will be forever. Forever he will be the king of glory. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful again that your word is so rich and so full. These are heavenly truths that we only know because you've revealed them in your word. And you've given us your Holy Spirit that we might accurately discern them. So we rejoice to think not just about a risen Christ, but about an ascended Christ. That's your commentary on his death and resurrection. You exalted him to your right hand, and you made him Lord over everyone and everything, and he is our Lord, preparing a place to gather us to himself. We rejoice in all that Christ is to us, and we pray that no one would end up among the enemies of our Savior and Redeemer. We pray that you would open every heart, Lord, to the glory of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.